Hi there, you're listening to the Steve Schramm Show, where we train Christians to become confident, passionate servants of Jesus so they can grow in their walk with God and share their faith more persuasively. Welcome to the show. As it turns out, many Christians are confused about how and what happens when a person gets saved. Now, this is Christianese language we're all used to using, right? But sometimes it can be hard to communicate to others what we mean. And I've dealt with the distinctiveness of Christian salvation in another blog post that I wrote. So I'm going to link you to that in the notes. But here I'd like to discuss just three elements of salvation. When does conversion take place in a person's life? What evidence will be demonstrated when this happens? For how long is a person saved? One unfortunate yet common mistake Christians make is expecting others to conform their moral ideals to ours. Now, according to the Bible, this is not possible. Actually, there's quite an interesting tension here. Romans 2, 14 through 15 declares that all will be held accountable precisely because God's moral law has been written on the hearts of all he has created. In other words, on Judgment Day, nobody will be standing in moral judgment over Yahweh, their creator. And yet, in apparent contradistinction, 1 Corinthians 2, 14-16 reads the following, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ." This passage seems to suggest that it's no wonder the natural man doesn't do things God's way. Uh, To do things his way requires spiritual discernment, which is impossible for the unbeliever. We often tend to legalism, unfortunately, and such is the human way. When others don't think, walk, talk, or act just like us, we treat them as outsiders, don't we? They're not part of the club. While in a certain real sense, this may be true, it shouldn't cause us to lose focus on the real goal and approach unbelievers with faulty expectations of them. As the old saying goes, we catch them, God cleans them. When it comes to bringing others to Christ, let's focus on our task. Our part of the mission is to sow the seed and introduce people to Christ. He takes care of the rest. Before moving on, let me caveat the above just a bit. All right, I'm not saying that we should stay out of socio-political issues that derive from a Christian view of morality. For example, I think Christians ought to do all they ethically can to lobby for legislation against abortion. As sad as the case may be, it shouldn't be surprising to us how many wish to celebrate their ability to control life and death. Frankly, they want to play God. Therefore, the best way to contradict their efforts is to bring them to the real God, that they might submit to him. Everything, and I do mean everything, changes in the person who truly submits and surrenders to God. Well, if everything changes, though, that suggests there must be some evidence in the life of the person who decides to follow God. Jesus. Indeed, this is precisely what we should expect. In a well-known discourse written to the church at Galatia, the Apostle Paul writes the following, Now the works of flesh are manifest, which are these, 
adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderers, drunkenness, and revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I told you in past times, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Galatians five nineteen through 26. I think verse 24 is a marvelous statement of what it means to turn from death unto life, from unbeliever to believer. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. The Galatians, whom Paul was writing to, were confused people on these matters. They were being influenced by a group who taught that salvation required works in order to be effective. In contrast, Paul and others taught that works were a byproduct of salvation, not something that contributed to it. So we have yet another arena of Christian theology where the concept of evidence comes into play. The evidence that a prophet was from the Lord was simply that the prophecy would come to pass. See Deuteronomy chapter 17. The evidence that Jesus rose from the dead was that his was a bodily resurrection recorded by multiple eyewitnesses and prophesied by biblical writers of old. See 2 Peter 1. And the evidence that a person knows the Lord is the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in his or her life. It is in this sense only, let me underscore, only that Christians are licensed fruit inspectors. Since we're taught to mark and avoid those which teach contrary to the scriptures, it's Romans sixteen seventeen. we must be aware at all times, just in case there are wolves among us. While this does not mean we should avoid unbelievers altogether, neither does it mean we should be looking to find fault in everyone we meet. It does mean we're well within our rights to judge whether a person knows the Lord on the basis of their outward testimony. The Lord alone knows their hearts, but we have been given discernment and the criteria needed to protect ourselves from those who teach contrary to the gospel. Now, although I'm a believer in the doctrine of eternal security, I'd like for my comments here to be taken as distinct from that debate. What I really want to hone in on for this last idea, the concept of the finality of salvation, is the concept of believing loyalty. There's no shortage of discussion around how God's people were saved in different periods of time. Covenantalists maintain that God deals with people over the course of history by making covenants with them, wherein each party agrees to uphold their end of the bargain to achieve the end of being in right relationship with him. Now, in their view, no covenant has ever been kept except for the covenant of grace, which is wholly executed by God. In contrast, dispensationalists are going to maintain that God deals with people in different ways throughout the course of history with specific emphasis on the sharp distinction between the church and Israel. And again, there are a plethora of views in between those and above those and beyond those uh, that we just don't have the space to 
to talk about uh, today, but just know there's a broad range of opinion on this idea of how different people were saved over time. Of the positions I mentioned, I think there's some truth to be found in both. But I personally prefer to express my view in terms of believing loyalty, which I believe captures what the Bible means to teach on the finality of salvation. For one, this avoids the negative connotations of other views. Plus, it allows me to follow the biblical text where it leads with respect to ancillary details without forcing me to fit my view of salvation into a predetermined system. So, what is believing loyalty? In Supernatural, Dr. Michael Heiser writes the following, quote, The law was not how Israelites achieved salvation. It was how they showed loyalty to the God they believed in. Salvation for an Israelite was about faith in the promises and character of the God of gods and about refusing to worship another God. It was about belief and loyalty from the heart, not earning brownie points with God. King David did awful things like commit adultery and arrange a murder. According to the law, he was a lawbreaker and deserved to die for his crimes. Even so, he never wavered in his belief in Yahweh as the Most High God. He never switched his loyalty to another God. And God was merciful to him. The same is true in the New Testament. Believing the gospel means believing that the God of Israel came to earth as a man, voluntarily died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, and rose again on the third day. We must embrace that by faith, and then show our loyalty to Jesus by forsaking all other gods. Regardless of what those other gods may say about salvation, the Bible tells us there is no salvation in any other name than Jesus, and that faith must remain intact. Personal failure is not the same as trading Jesus for another God, and God can tell the difference. Close quote. Again, many hours could be spent and have been sparring over whether or not one can ever lose their salvation and other fun theological questions. The fact remains that for those who never trade their loyalty to Yahweh, salvation is final. Though we fail him every day, he will never fail us. And that, that, my friends, is reason to rejoice. Well, I want to thank you for joining us for another week here on the Steve Stram Show. Thank you. When you become a disciple maker, that is a patron over at patreon.com, you take an intimate role in our ministry. You can actually join and um, help in making content decisions, um, decisions with respect to the, the books that we write and everything. We, we, we really want to take that very seriously. And you also get to receive unlimited immediate access to all of our books and audiobooks. It would be my privilege to provide you with that in exchange for your support of our ministry. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. Give us a rating and review on the podcast, on Apple Podcasts, if you enjoyed it, and let others know about it. We would certainly appreciate that as we aim to kind of create confident and passionate sermons for Jesus. That's really what we want to do, is create people who just love falling in love with the Lord and with His Word. All right. Thank you. God bless you. We'll see you next time.